Welcome, disciple makers, and thank you for joining us. The Georgia Baptist Mission Board Discipleship Team, led by Scott Sullivan, exists to help churches take the next step toward becoming a healthy, disciple-making church. We've developed tools to help you, like the Watershed Principle, which identifies six main ministries needed to be a healthy church. The Spark Conference, a total church strengthening event that allows you to access keynotes and breakouts all year long for ongoing training in your ministry area. This year's conference features keynote speakers Fred Luter, Michael Catt, Todd Bolsinger, and Robbie Gallaty, as well as online and in-person regional events. Learn more at www.thesparkconference.com. We also have learning communities across Georgia to sharpen, encourage, and resource leaders personally and professionally. Find a community near you at gabaptist.org discipleship. Don't forget you can find our previous episodes on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and your favorite podcast platform. Now let's join today's broadcast or podcast. Hey friends, we are so glad that you are with us today. Uh, Scott Sullivan here, and welcome to Georgia Baptist Discipleship, where we seek to bring you the best discipleship practices and principles from across the nation. Now, today's our final broadcast of 2022, and we want to do a little something different by sharing with you the best of the best and giving some stuff away. So make sure you watch to the end because I have a special prize that we're going to give away to one lucky participant. Now, Today, we have an entire team here, plus our boss, Dr. Levi Skipper, which we affectionately call ARMS because, well, his arms are as big as my legs. So Levi's really great. He's a fantastic leader and preacher and a mediocre golfer. If you don't know Levi, you need to get to know him. Now, alongside Levi is our entire discipleship team, Dr. P.J. Dunn, Ray Sullivan, the Carl Johnson and Matthew model plane builder Gibbs. So, uh, so grateful for those guys. Now let me share a few of our fun facts and then PJ is going to jump on and share a little reminder here. We averaged over 16,000 interactions monthly. That's over 200,000 for the year. So really incredible. Our Georgia Baptist Discipleship Facebook group has grown from 60 to over 3,400 members and making that platform one of the fastest growing discipleship groups in the nation. And that's not including our Instagram, YouTube, and podcast, if you haven't caught those. Now, our team has visited over 420 churches in person and contacted over 200 and over 2,600 churches and then preached in 61 churches this past year. We launched and facilitated 30 learning communities across Georgia, trained well over 2,000 people in retreats and conferences, and we saw the Spark Conference register and train people from 33 states, four countries, and thousands of lay leaders being equipped and inspired. Uh, really cool that we also have 18 state conventions that will be using the Spark Conference to offer training to their people. So our team's been super busy, PJ. Share with us a little reminder so our folks can know how they can get something free. Well, I think the first and most important reminder for all of our Alabama fans out there is that it still tastes like victory. And oh my goodness. We do you. know what loss tastes like. That's not shocking as I look back on this year. I just want us to remember what victory tasted like um, in Rocky Top. So uh, very important today. Wow. So if you share the broadcast, you have to hit the share button, not just the like or the heart or the thumb, you know, the whatever emoji, you got to hit share. And if you hit share today, you might just win Scott's super cool. Is that like a Christmas camo? Is that like a Christmas camo hoodie? Is that what we got going on? No, over there? we've talked about it. We talked about it, PJ. I don't know if I can let loose of, we talked about giving this away. So we're either going to give this away or don't make me do it. A giant Pez dispenser. That's right. That's right. So, and and not just your average Pez dispenser. So it's going to be That's worth right. it. We promise that sharing will be worth it. That's right. That's right. We're also going to give away something else at the end. So make sure you listen then. Now, leaders, we want to give you some ideas here, some highlights, some best practices, some trends that we've learned from the different broadcasts this year. And I guess the question that comes to my mind is this, will you give your people vitamins or painkillers? You can provide a plan that stimulates growth, or you can give them a painkiller, programmatic painkiller that just numbs them to the pain of the inevitable. Well, let's talk about some of these key concepts of what we call vitamins, things that can stimulate growth in your church, can help you become more healthy as a leader, but also as a church. Now, PJ, as we jump in here, we talk about some of these elements that we've learned 
I would say this fruit is loud. And what I mean is we've seen these things that we're fixing to talk about happen in churches. And when these churches implement them, I mean, it's clear that they're working. And one of those is an intentional culture that has an identifiable disciple-making plan, right? And it provides healthy, productive uh, ministry long-term. So here's a question. Can you dig deeper for us on this idea? Yeah, so we had Brandon Gendon on this year to talk about that. He has this disciple-making culture book, and they're working on a lot of things over there. But um, like I would say overall where the Lord has had me uh, for the last 12, 13, 14 months is just really drilling into this idea of friendship discipleship, that we make friends that are intentional disciple-making relationships. And sometimes we're friendly in a church and we shake everybody's hand, but we don't go to that disciple-making part. So what Brandon talks about is having that disciple-making culture, that culture is what's going to create that disciple-making movement that we all desire so much in our churches and and just preaching on Sunday is not going to cut it. Just launching another Sunday school class uh, isn't the only answer. Those things are elements of a culture, but it's not embracing it. So things like, is your pastor talking from um, uh, the pulpit about the group that he's in and how it's changing and how he's seeing life change? You know, several of us on here lead groups or, and we're all part of a group for disciple making. And we just, it oozes out of you when it's part of what you, you are. Is that, that the sound of graphic when I said it out loud, I felt it afterwards, <laughs> but you want culture to be surrounding you so that you don't even think anything about, am I going to a group this week? We just know that everybody at our church is going to be part of a group because that's where life change happens. So Brandon Gindon really uh, got to me, kind of worked on my heart and it's cool to see churches embrace that this year. So good. Now, Levi, if you'll if you'll unmute and jump on here real quick, I want to ask you this same question because you implemented a very intentional plan when you were at your last church and you saw growth, you saw things happen. So let me just pitch this to you as well. How does having a, a specific plan and trying to create a culture for people to experience the Lord and group activity and ministry and launch them? How did that work for your last church? Well, I will tell you, I think one of the greatest things that happened is I was preaching on the importance of making disciples. And um, once I kind of finished that message, I actually sat down with an individual who was an engineer in the life of our church. And he said, Levi, man, you're you're telling me to make disciples. And I agree with you. Like I jump up and down on the Bible verses that you're you know, kind of reading. He said, but the bottom line is, I don't know how to do that. So mm. he said, could you just give me a simple tool uh, to really disciple somebody. And so we went back and created what we called at that time, no sweat discipleship, but it was basically a simple tool that's timeless, transferable, uh, and easily learned by anybody to disciple someone. So we created that tool. Then we basically trained our entire church uh, uh, on a four-week process on Sunday mornings on how to do that, teaching them how to worship, reach, grow, and serve. And then as a staff, we started No Sweat Discipleship Groups, and then they just kind of organically began to take place in the life of our church. So getting something super simple that uh, can be understood by anybody uh, when I say anybody, I mean, my, my eight-year-old daughter at that time, she's older now, but she understood it and actually used mm -hmm. it. So that's one of those things, just realizing, okay, the simpler I get, the more traction I'm going to get. So good. So your people knew what to expect, expect when they got there, equipped and empowered them to move forward. Really, really strong. Now, the Carl Johnson, I've said many times, if you'll unmute and jump on here with me, I've said many times, bro, that the future belongs to those who think deeply, live within boundaries, and plan strategically, all right? Now, we had Leo Endel on, and he talked about small church strategic planning. Now, Carl, why is it so important to plan strategically? And can you talk to us a little bit about the benefits? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I really like the way Leo approached this because I started in a small church, about 200 members, and a lot of bivocational pastors, which is most of the pastors we talk to, have less than 100 members, and many of them have not done strategic planning. And sometimes that sounds so complex, you think you have to be a mega church, but it's almost as simple as a GPS. You know, you, you, you know where you are, you punch in your location, you know where you want to go, and it gives you all of the turns to get there. Hmm. from point A to point B. And so it's it's like 
creating next steps for your church. And, you know, he talked about, you know, how some churches have obstacles to doing that. And many times they are smaller churches because they're intimidated by what larger churches do. But what I really liked about the way he outlined in his book, where do we go from here, is that part of the, the planning process at the very beginning, you define the purpose of the church. And no matter what size your church is, it's going to have the same purpose. And of course, the fivefold ministry, we all know what those are. But once you define that and then you evaluate where you are and you kind of assess that, now you can do some brainstorming and see what's the next step to get to actually living out the purpose of the church. And of course, any pastor you talk to, they're going to say, hey, we exist uh, to, uh, to uh, uh, do the Great Commission, you know, to make disciples. And, and so you've got a plan to do that. It doesn't just happen by osmosis. It doesn't just happen, you know, as you love to say, uh, uh, Scott, because you hope it will happen. And that's not a plan. <laughs> that's it. Yep. Hope is not a strategy. That is, that's good. I uh, love it, Carl. And it's like the idea of you don't go to war and then develop your plan while you're in the war or after the war. It's just really important to have your plan going into the war and then you storm hell with a water pistol. So that's strategic. Strong. Yeah, strategic. Man, thanks for sharing that. Now, Levi, um, you were on our broadcast this past year and just in a strong word that you shared about the importance of taking advantage of big energy moments and built-in big attendance days. Uh, by the way, folks, for as we talk about these these initiatives, uh, we're going to be dropping links to these broadcasts, links to these resources that we're talking about. They're going to be in in the chat. So if you're listening by podcast or on Instagram or one of these other platforms, make sure you go to the Facebook group and you'll be able to get all of these links. Now, Levi, can you share more about the Ride the Waves initiative? Because there are a lot of people that are using this right now. But as I look at the breadth of 3,500 churches, there's still a lot that are not maximizing the moment. Yeah, so it's just a simple tool called Ride the Waves. It helps you take advantage of natural attendance bumps in the life of your church. So one of the things that I learned pastoring and I've seen in other churches as well is sometimes we think we should grow incrementally every single month, like it should just always be growing. And the reality is it, it doesn't work that way typically in the life of a church. But there are some natural attendance bumps that take place. So some that we've identified, you know, is like the beginning of the year. So January, for whatever reason, people show back up at church. A lot of times, uh, unchurched people who look for a church will also show up during that time. And then Easter is another time. And then typically in the fall when school starts back. So if you get very strategic to kind of jump off of what Carl said, uh, that's what Ride the Waves is. You're, you're strategically looking at those particular times and you're looking at how you're going to take advantage of those natural attendance bumps to move the church forward. So a great example of that is if you want to grow, you know, uh, by X percent in your small groups, then maybe, you know, in January, you want to ride that wave of a natural attendance bump and you want to create everything to drive people to small groups. So you're going to teach on the importance of small groups. You're going to start new small groups, et cetera. All of those kinds of things take place. So Ride the Waves is just a very simple tool. Again, I'm a very simple-minded individual, so I like simple stuff. But it's a simple tool to help a person take advantage of those natural attendance bumps. Very good. And that's what we want to do in the life of church is we want to provide a platform for our people to experience the Lord at a high level, equip, and then launch them. That's strong. Thank you, Levi. Now, Matthew, when we interviewed Steve Parr, we, we talked about healthy churches and the importance of training leaders. And man, when he started talking about how we weren't training enough and, and how important it was, not just to train them like once a year, but the idea that we should consistently train him. I'm like, giddy up, cowboy. I mean, it's like he's talking my language, but we're not seeing enough of that consistent training. So, man, talk to us about the lessons learned here and, and about maybe some ideas on training and empowering leaders in 2023. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Scott, thanks for the opportunity to do that. A um, couple of things. Uh, just right off the bat, Steve's such a great leader and, and uh, has had such an impact in our state. It's always good to, to hear from him, and, and he's got his finger on, on trends. Um, 
But two of the things that we talked about, one was specifically recruiting volunteers and, and then also training volunteers. And um, something he said that really hit home with me is uh, when it comes to training, the, the scriptures don't only describe training for the church, but they prescribe training. And he says training is directly related uh, to our growth. If we train well, uh, we'll see growth. We'll see positive growth in our church. And one of the things uh, that we said is, you know, as we travel around the state, the, the different guys on the podcast here, we, we don't hear pastors saying, you know, my biggest problem, Brother Matthews, I got so many volunteers, I don't know what to do with them. It's usually the opposite is what they're saying. And so uh, we need to recruit well, but then we also need to have some type of ongoing training, intentional plan to train people. One of the things I love that Steve said is he talked about training in drips. He used that term, train in drips. And he gave the example of, of a church that he was an interim pastor in, and he did something where he had a little five-minute training uh, blurb that he provided every week. And he said, if you think about it, over the course of several months, our folks got literally hours of training. Just He said, didn't cost me a lot of time or effort, but it was very beneficial. A lot of churches are not doing anything. They're not doing any training. And so um, I guess my first point would be, if you're not doing anything, you need to start doing something. Uh, also, I would say, don't, don't go from nothing to a huge plan that you overwhelm your people with but start and then grow from there to develop an ongoing training process where you are involved year-round in providing training and not just any training, but good quality training for your people. Take advantage of what the state offers. Take advantage of what's offered in your association, uh, what's offered online. Uh, look at the resources that are available and get good training in front of your people uh, so that they can be uh, do well at what they uh, have signed up and volunteered to do. Don't just leave them out there in the dark, but provide training to help them grow. That's good. Now, I want to ask a question of those of you who are listening or watching. How often are you training? So this is to those who are doing training. You think it's somewhat successful or it's, it's working to some degree. I'd love to know how often you are training us. One of the big questions that we get, uh, we tend to talk about uh, trying to do it six to eight times a year or at least quarterly. But I would love to know what the trend is in the churches. So drop that in the chat. Let us know how often you are training. Now, one of my favorite broadcasts from this past year highlighted the importance of creating a culture where everyone is welcome and included. It was Mark Hearn, First Duluth. And, uh, and I'm going to pitch this to the team if you guys have some ideas here. But Mark is the pastor at First Duluth, has over 30 nationalities represented every Sunday in his worship service. They sing in different dialects. Um, it just really uh, one of the most incredible worship experiences that I've been a part of since I've been in Georgia here. Their stage is diverse. They have uh, Bible study groups that are diverse. And I love what Gary Lewis said about this at First Jonesboro. He said, they're seeking uh, to do something similar. And he said, we seek to be culturally diverse, not ethnically diverse. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. This is Gary Lewis at First Jonesboro. He said, we're seeking to be culturally diverse, not ethnically diverse. He said, cultural diversity celebrates the culture, and we can learn from one another. He said, ethnic diversity separates people out into their different culture or their ethnicity, and then people don't really learn how to engage or interact with one another. So they're not trying to get more white folks or black folks or Hispanic or Asian folks. They're they want to set up all of those cultures and learn from one another. So um, any of you guys on the team, this is, I'm going to pitch this to the team for a second. Do you guys have any thoughts here? Something that you've seen, something that stood out to you? Uh, maybe Levi and Ray, maybe something as you guys were lead pastors in churches that you saw that worked or maybe a big struggle there. Yeah, I'll, I'll, while they, while they respond, I'll just say, you know, Marcus Glass uh, down in Southwest all been in Georgia um, talked about how every time a new person came to his church, the culture changed. And so they were just mm -hmm. aware that the culture wasn't stagnant and you had to indoctrinate somebody in your culture, but that every time somebody new comes in, we change. You change, we change, and then we move forward. So that way it's not just a static culture, but the idea that we're establishing a culture that's continually adapting to who God brings us in our church. That's great, PJ, because you just, what you're highlighting is the idea that 
you're not asking people to get on board with your culture. People are joining your church and then the culture of the church changes based on who's there. That is a mindset shift. Good word. Any other thoughts there, guys? Hey, I would throw out, uh, I know it's kind of out of our Baptist circle, but Church of the Apostles with Michael Youssef in Atlanta uh, does a phenomenal job at uh, really seeing a diverse church. But, but I think I would say to you what attracts uh, to that particular fellowship really is, uh, and I'm not trying to get overly spiritual here, but it is kingdom culture, mm. right? So uh, just the reality that there really are just two cultures. There's the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of light. And what I have seen in the life of that church is that there is a gravitational pull towards the truth of the gospel, exegetical preaching, uh, and as a result, I think people are hungry for that, and they have reached a diverse crowd as a result right there in Buckhead. Gosh, that's really good. That's hey, fantastic. I, and I mentioned something that happened here. Probably our pastor's been here now about uh, 10 years, and something we did within the first one or two years that he was here is we asked, we got gathered our staff together and asked the question, how are we viewed by our community? Are we viewed as a white church or rich church? Uh, you know, how are we viewed and how do we want to be viewed so that we welcome all people that we're welcomed? You know, there's 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 language barriers sometimes and things like that. But we wanted to be a, a church that didn't just reach one socioeconomic level, one skin color, you know, one cultural background. We wanted to be something that was seen as a church for all people, all families. We, in fact, we changed some of our language even. And so we were, we asked the question and then we started making intentional shifts to be open in that way to the people in our community. That's a good word. Now, let me shift to Ray. Ray, we learned about healthy churches have healthy pastors. And uh, we brought Jim Putman on. And um, we also had Chad Harrington in that one. And Jim shared about how his pride almost upended his entire ministry. And when he wasn't healthy, the church wasn't healthy. And that's you know, for us as leaders, sometimes that can be a hard pill to swallow. So here's my question. Peel back a layer here. And as a pastor yourself of many years, help us grasp this idea of a healthy pastor. Yeah, Scott, I, I appreciate being on here today. And I, you know, well, I, I think if we can, this is tough. I'm just going to say before I even say anything else, this is tough because we're talking about all the things that we can do in the church and how we can engage people and how we can connect and how we can welcome but this is a look at the mirror right here. Um, and there were two broadcasts that particularly impacted me in this this year. And that was Drew Hewn, uh, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. And we talked with Drew, uh, who was there in partnership with Pete Scazzaro. And Pete wrote the book, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. And also the one you're referencing, Jim Putnam, when Jim said, you know, there was a time where his pride um, just about wrecked his ministry. I began to think back on my life and I began to think about so many times in ministry where, man, I was just, I was adamant. I was, I thought I was right. I thought, you know, and, and I remember one time, one particular instance where I was sitting in a group of guys that were not only leaders in the church, but were friends. And it was a similar thing that Jim experienced. And, and one of the guys looked across the table, he looked at me and he said, Ray, I got to tell you something. He said, you're the problem. Mm. <laughs> that will floor you. And um, I, I realized that this guy loved me, that he cared about me. He had always been a prayer partner. He had always been with me. He had always been engaged, but he was seeing some things that I wasn't seeing. And I was just so focused on what I thought needed to take place that I wasn't listening to those around me. And I, I think, you know, what Jim says in that broadcast, I'll go back to being kind of the, the core of who we are, is that pride wrecks disciple making. Oh, if, I, if I think I know good. better than God, and I think, you know, I, I may think I'm serving him. I may think I'm working for him, but I'm not listening. I'm not engaged. I'm not personally being discipled. I'm not reading my Bible on a, on a, on a regular basis, not just for preaching, but for spiritual growth, for connection with the Lord. If I'm not relating to other people, if I'm not involved in a group, if I'm not leading groups, if I'm just preaching from the pulpit or, or just leading in meetings, but I'm not connected with people, it is so easy for us to disconnect and, and think only from what we see and what we know and we're not listening. And uh, pride can uh, wreck discipleship. It can wreck our ministries. It can wreck our relationships with other people. 
And I'm telling you guys, if I were to go back and, and watch a couple of broadcasts over the years, those would be two over this past year that are hard to listen to. Um, but I would encourage you. I mean, I think that's where our, our learning communities come in. I think that's where relationships with other guys come in to say, look, here's what I'm dealing with and here's where I'm struggling. And do you see something in this? And do you, uh, I know it's tough. I know we have to be careful in leadership in our churches of opening up to others, but guys, it'll destroy you. And if it'll, if it'll almost derail Jim Putman uh, from what uh, God was doing at real life, um, it can certainly derail us. So uh, personal humility, the book that he wrote, Revolutionary Disciple, uh, we live in a culture today that's all about me, 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 me. That's and right. we're all fighting it. We're fighting it politically. We're fighting it culturally. We're fighting it in our churches. And a disciple, um, humility, love, love for God, love for others yeah. is where it all begins. And so, man, that's a tough one, but yeah. uh, very impactful in my life this year. Yeah, very much worth going back to watch. And uh, I'm the most selfish person I know, Ray. So, you know, Me listen too. to him you talk about that. You know, it just uh, just spoke volumes, you know. So um, now, Levi, let's let's shift the, the view here, turn the page. Nationwide, we've talked about often how we have more openings than leaders to fill the spots. And, um, and each church must create a consistent leadership pipeline, yet most churches don't have that in place. So, so just check that. Think about this for a moment. The past two years have been called the great resignation where pastors, staff, CEOs have been leaving at record numbers. Barna just came out with a study that said 42% of pastors surveyed were considering quitting. Now, listen, that's quitting altogether. That's not leaving their church or trying to go to another church. 42% are considering quitting ministry altogether. And in Georgia, we've got between four and 500 churches that don't have a pastor. So this is echoed around the nation. Levi, man, I just wanted to pitch this idea to you. What can we do to reverse this trend? Well, if I knew the answer, I would write a book on it. You know what I mean? I, I think the... <laughs> I think the reality is we've lost just a leadership development concept in the life of our churches. And as a result of that, now we are reaping the benefits, right? Or I should say the, the recourse. Um, so just looking kind of at a very, you know, get down to kind of like the lowest level possible here and then kind of work our way up in the life of a church. It's very important that we are developing people into leaders. So there should be a, you know, a, a clear pathway for that to occur. So the simplest way that I have seen that this works is you, you teach people how to lead themselves, right? So you do that by teaching them ultimately how to have a, dis, you know, a disciplined devotion, getting them involved in uh, some sort of humble service in the life of the church. Uh, you got to create a pathway for that, right? So they need to understand how to spend time along the Lord. They need to understand how to get plugged into the life of the church. Uh, and then once they, you know, show uh, faithfulness in leading themselves, then you talk about putting them in a position to lead others. So now, now you're teaching them how to disciple other people, and now they're uh, being trained on how to lead a servant team in the life of the church, right? And then there's kind of this other step. So you kind of got to lead self, lead others, and then there's this leader of leaders category, mm -hmm. which would be kind of that third step. So. Now they're not just disciple makers and discipline devoted uh, devotions in their life, but now they're they're multiplying disciple makers, right? They're not just serving in the life of the church and leading a ministry team. They kind of have more responsibility now where they're a ministry leader, right? So they might be overseeing the entire of uh, entirety of preschool ministry, or children's ministry, or next gen ministry, or whatever. So you're you're increasingly moving them up. Uh, one of the great things that I have seen in a lot of churches uh, we experienced in the church that I pastored as well is that we we developed guys who actually felt called to ministry. Mm. So, but their calling took place in the context of that development pipeline, and and many of them became campus pastors. Uh, many of them became uh, campus worship leaders. Uh, campus next gen leaders. I mean, you can kind of name the gamut there, but that was kind of the process that was developed. But again, you know, uh, I think we've lost the art of in the life of a church calling out the called. 
Uh, I know that seems to be a buzzword right now. Uh, it's yeah. kind of interesting because when I was in, you know, middle school, high school in, in my local church, uh, my pastor was always talking about that. Yeah. He gave a call during the invitation for those who wanted to give their heart to Jesus. And then he also would mention, hey, some of you may be struggling with a call to ministry. And he, you know, he would invite people to come forward if they were struggling with that or they felt called. So again, that call to calling out the call needs to definitely resurface. Uh, we're seeking to do that in the life of Georgia through our next gen ministry primarily right now. So we're seeing that uh, in our um, camps throughout the summer. There's an invitational call for salvation. There's also an invite for those who feel called to ministry. And uh, what we're doing with those who respond, which is shocking how many are responding to that, but we're plugging them into a, a way to be equipped uh, as they walk through that call in their life. I know Shane Pruitt with the North American Mission Board just finished a book, and I'm trying to remember the title of it. Forgive me. I think it may be Calling Out the Call or something I like that. I think so. But uh, just a, a, a tremendous resource as well. And, you know, I, I've talked to Shane about this book. Just, just awesome what even the North American Mission Board is seeking to do to, to revive that concept. But here's the thing, uh, you know, I, I hate to get it down to the simplest form. I feel like I'm always trying to do that, right? But the reality is the culture of the church must have a leadership development concept so that people, as they are being developed, sense that call from God into ministry. And so um, anybody who's out there who really needs help with that, I, I would encourage them to get the help uh, they can possibly get from us or from yeah. others who are doing that, but um, very, very huge. Leading self, leading others, leading leaders. We do, and we've got some churches that we identify that have these processes in place, and when people call us, hey, here's a couple of ideas. We can come sit down with you, help you identify, set this up, or if you want to talk to a church who's doing this every day and they've got these pipelines set, then we forward them on. That's a great word. And learning communities uh, for a discipleship team this past year, and even for our church strengthening team is also a pipeline for that. It's an opportunity because one of the struggles, Levi's, that I, as we, and I think Ray and, and I were talking about this a little earlier, we, as we talk with people, a lot of our leaders are not on a growth plan. Like they're not necessarily reading. They're not, they don't have an accountability group that they're studying or memorizing scripture with. They're not doing things to grow as a leader. So if, if we're not growing as a leader, then we're not going to be able to help other people take that same path as well, man. Thanks so much for sharing that. Now, Ray, uh, we talked also about how important it was to think beyond borders because we all grew up in a box and I tend to see the world through the box and the lens of how I grew up. So Ray, help us understand here, because we jumped into VR, virtual reality discipleship, and my mind just exploded listening to these guys talk. And they're they're trying to do this every week, and they don't know if it's going to work long term. I don't even know what I think about it. But man, help us understand a little bit about what we learned through that broadcast. Yeah, I, I'm in the same place, Scott. Um, I remember when PJ first made a comment about doing a broadcast on, on VR discipleship, virtual reality. And I said, well, what does that look like? What are you talking about? And he began to explain, you know, we see the commercials about the little goggles and the metaverse and all this. And I was like, you know, just be honest. My, my gut reaction was, you got to be kidding me. This is ridiculous. I mean, I'm going to put on some goggles and I'm going to walk into a virtual room and do discipleship. Come on, people. We have to have relationships and all this. I, I made a comment and my wife just laughed in the background. She was like, what in the world is that? That's how I went into this. Now, maybe I'm showing my age or something. I don't know. But man, that that discussion that PJ had, it was just a couple of weeks ago. It was our last broadcast. For me, most impactful of the year. Um, those guys and what they're doing to create relationships and connections and open doors of gospel presentation and discipleship. I mean, it's just a place to communicate. It's a place to just engage. And some of the people that, that they're engaging with, um, we would never connect with on a regular basis. And I was just, number one, I was embarrassed that I was even negative in the first place. But number two, just now, I'm I'm same place. I don't really know what I think about it. I don't know about its long-term impact. But I am just, I am so intrigued by those guys that are saying, hey, whatever it takes to have gospel conversations with people. I will give it a try. 
I will, yes. I will reach out. We talked to a young pastor not long ago down in Southwest Georgia who said, I'm going to buy three, I think two or three of these virtual things. Cause I have a couple of young people in my church that probably will use that and to connect. Hey, I'm not saying go out and start it tomorrow, but open your eyes, uh, people, and um, just begin to think, are there other ways that we can connect with people? Discipleship is about relationships, and not all those relationships are face-to-face. -face. Sometimes they are virtual. And um, so I, I was challenged, um, man, leaders are learners, and I have learned a lot this year. Um, yes. That was one of the areas that I, I really learned a lot. I would go back, guys, and watch that watch that discussion there's some guys that are out there on the cutting edge and it's pretty neat yeah Ray, you really just highlighted for me the idea that we've got to stay curious mm -hmm. i mean curious the definition is willing to learn that we've got to be willing to grow to learn and don't accept it necessarily up front but give it give the idea a chance because the reality is if we keep doing the same thing and it's not getting us where we need to be then we're never going to move forward so we've got to be able to try and here's the reality if it doesn't work we punt, we do something different, right? right. Exactly. Good word. Any other thoughts there, PJ? I know you were on that, spent a lot of time through that process. Any other thoughts you would add to the VR discipleship? It's just the core principles, like when Carl and I were discovering this conversation, are the same in any realm. That's just the nerdiest way to say it. Like it, the gospel is the same and we go proclaim it. And this is one missional way to go share the gospel online from the comfort of wherever you want to sit, just hop on and you're in another realm. But it's also about relationships. That whole conversation was about relationships and how the Lord will bring those to you and how you can cultivate those. And so the idea of doing a Bible study online um, and not having to drive across Atlanta traffic and lose uh, your mind and have to repent by the time you get there, I don't think that day's too far off. So just, just, uh, just a reminder, those core principles really do stand true no matter how God uh, uses different technologies to do that. And through it all, we will bet the farm on relationships. Amen. All right, lightning round. Let's land the plane with some, um, give y'all, give you all, if you'll all unmute for a second, you get a one word or short phrase answer here. And we're going to start PJ with you and we'll just kind of go across my screen. So PJ, you're first, um, best book you read in 2022 that's in addition to the Bible. Let's just go ahead and say we all read the Bible. It's still the best book that we read. In addition to the Bible, best book you read in 2022. Uh, Proclaiming the Kingdom. Uh, Hans Wunsch wrote a book, one of our associational missionaries. That was a really good book. Carl Johnson. The God Who Goes Before You. Tim Jones and Michael Wilder. Great perspective on leadership. Good word. Matthew. Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland, The Heart of God for Sinners and Sufferers. Just a powerful book, just opened up again for me, a new understanding of God's heart towards me. Strong. Ray Sullivan. The Starfish and the Spirit, Unleashing the Leadership Potential of Churches and Organizations by Lance Ford and Rob Wagner. Yeah. Levi? Well, I, I feel ungodly because I'm about to give you a secular book. You guys. Me are, too. Go ahead. I, yeah, I appreciate y'all doing that, man. I will tell you, I, I reread Mere Christianity again this year, and uh, every year I read Mere Christianity, that is the best Christian book I've read that year, yeah. so I will tell you that, but another book that has been tremendous this year is a book, Traction, it's written mm -hmm. by Tino Wickham, uh, you baptize a lot of its principles, but there are some truth in there that really does help ministry advancement in the life of a church. Yeah, good word. Uh, let me give you a non- Christian author as well. Uh, Think Again by Adam Grant. Same deal. Take what you like, throw out the stuff that doesn't work, but it really challenged the way I think, but think again and think deeply because I do believe the future belongs to those who think deeply. And of course, we do love Disciple Making Culture, which we've mentioned by Brandon Gindon and The Revolutionary Disciple by Putman and Harrington. All right, next round here. We'll start this one with Levi and go from left to right. Key leadership quality that a ministry leader must have to win in the future church. Key leadership quality of a leader that they must have to win in future church. Doc? Uh, great question. It's so hard for me to get it down to one uh, key word uh, for the future. Um, I think I would say flexibility. Ooh, mm. solid. Writing it down. All right, Ray Sullivan. Same thing, man. So much we can say. Um, 
so many different things. But going back to what I said earlier, talking about um, um, uh, Jim Putman and Drew Hune, emotional health discipleship, I'm going to throw out this year humility. Good word. Matthew. Relational and transparent are the two words just keep coming back to me. Our leader needs to, folks want to be, they want to know and relate to the leader that's leading them. And I think you need to be open and transparent. You don't have to tell them all your faults, but to be transparent as a leader is, I think, a powerful thing to do. Great. Carl. Well, I believe I just stole mine. I've got a different word is adaptability of you know, that leader that sees opportunities instead of obstacles, because the world is the pace of change is only going to increase. Uh, this is the slowest change is ever going to go. What we're seeing right now. Mm, good perspective, PJ. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say friendship is my word. So to be a friend worth having disciple makers have to be friends. Mm, and I'm going to add it again. Think deeply. Think deeply. Don't just take what other people say. All right. Top struggle you noticed in 2022 that pastors are struggling with. All right. We'll start this one with Ray Sullivan. Top struggle you noticed in 2022 that pastors and staff are struggling with. Ray? Real relationships. Levi Skipper. Man, I, I was probably going to jump on that as well, Ray. I, I think I would you know, back up now that you've said that, I think I would, um, I think I would add the word, I've got two of them in my head. One I think is depression. Mm. Uh, another one I think is uh, ego. Um, they fall into the comparison trap. I think we all do. Anytime you compare yourself to others, you walk away prideful or pitiful. Yeah. Both of those are your ego and ego is edging God out. If you hadn't heard that before, hmm. that's what ego is. That's good. I heard a, a guy talk the other day. He said the presence of anxiety is controllable. The prison of anxiety is not good word. All right, Matthew Gibbs. I'll go back to the word I said while ago with leaders, transparency. I've, I've noticed in the relationships I've had with pastors, just giving them a safe place to be able to be transparent and talk about, what's going on, some of the struggles they had. I think some of them, and maybe it goes back to what Levi said, the ego won't allow them to open up and, and, and say, you know, I don't have it all together or I'm having a problem. But that doesn't make you a bad leader. That makes you a good leader to be able to admit that. So being transparent, I think, and having a safe place to do that. Good word. PJ Dunn. I put down uh, defining a strategic plan like post-COVID. So when we ask the question, when are you appreciating your volunteers and when are you training your volunteers? It's like, I'll get to that. So just a lot of struggle with having a long-term plan or even a couple of years. Good. Carl? Uh, I just have to say a uh, hybrid church. Uh, a lot of pastors are just struggling with mm. persons not coming back in person. And that's the new normal. Some people are just not coming back, but they will attend online. So you have to uh, come to terms with the fact that church is going to be hybrid from this point on. Great. And we want to hear from you that are watching or listening because we are setting up 2023 broadcast topic and invite. So what are some of those struggles that you or your staff or your people are having? Because we want to have discussions based on what the need is in the local church. So if you will drop that into the chats below. And uh, again, when you drop a chat, you get entered into a drawing for free swag. All right. Lise talked about topic that should be a headline. Least talked about topic that should be a headline. Matthew Gibbs. I took it as a, in the discipleship area. I think uh, a lot of our folks I'm talking to, uh, when we're talking about disciple making, they're not thinking about disciples who make disciples or thinking about a program. And I think that's what we need to talk about, the relational discipleship and what it means to reproduce another disciple who will go and reproduce another disciple. Good word. Carl Johnson. I would say uh, the role of emotional intelligence in relationships and, you know, disciple making is going to be as varied as different personalities that you're going to have when you meet people. And not everybody is cut the same way. But if you just seek to understand people before you try to force them to understand you, that's going to take you a long way. And uh, uh, I'd like to get a lot better at that. Good word. PJ. 
Um, I'm keeping my theme. So I just think uh, lack of friendship depth. I just think we're, we're, we're a lot of handshakes culturally very friendly, but we don't have depth of those friendships. Ray Sullivan. Yeah. Picking up with PJ there, I would say um, personal disciple making from pastors or leaders, not just, and it kind of goes with everything Matthew was saying too. It's not program driven, but are we leading leaders? Are we personally engaged in relationships and disciple making and letting that overflow into our ministries? That is what I was going to go with as well, Ray. Personal time alone with God and personal disciple making. Levi Skipper? Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like an echo chamber at this point because that's kind of what I was going to say as well. But really multiplying ourselves will be the key. Cool. All right. Last one. Most creative solution and the problem it solved. All right. Let me throw out mine first while you guys are thinking. Most creative solution and the problem it solved. There was church um, that I was aware of looking for youth pastor, which we've got hundreds and hundreds looking for the same thing. They decided to go with three part-time people from within the church, an older guy, two that were younger, kind of late 20s, early 30s. They split the responsibilities up between the three people from speaking to volunteers to set up to tear down all of those. And it is working for them. So they're actually spending less money, not having to do, um, you know, payroll, um, insurance, all those kind of things. And it's, working really well for that church. So solution was hire from within, go part-time. And the problem was trying to fill staff positions, which is such a big deal. All right, let's keep rolling. PJ Dunn. I put down utilizing uh, your creative church members to build environments at your church, you know, and the problem that that's solving is that you're not the expert at everything, pastor. Like we're not the expert at everything. It's okay to say that, but you go to your church members that are creative and say, I want to build an environment when somebody walks in that they they see what we want to be about. And so I saw a couple of churches this year do that on a budget. And we're going to talk about that in an upcoming broadcast, but I thought that was pretty creative. Carl. Well, mine is secular, so I'm a little ashamed, but I'll say it anyways. Uh, <laughs> the Suez Canal, and I know that was done about 150 years ago, but it created a path that connected uh, uh, three continents, Asia, Europe, and uh, Africa, and really the entire world, so that you could get uh, imports through the Suez Canal, down through the Red Sea, down to the Indian Ocean, which also connected Australia, and they didn't have to navigate that, that desert. And it's a man-made waterway, 120 miles, and it took 10 years to build. But even to this day, 30% of all international cargo goes through the Suez Canal. And uh, I, I'm just still amazed at that. And speaking of the word an artificial waterway, artificial intelligence is coming our way uh, through virtual reality. So... Good word. Sounds like the intro to Levi's next sermon. Matthew Gibbs. <laughs> All right. Here's a silly story, but it illustrates a point. I heard about a guy who had a leak in the roof dripping in the floor, and he was trying to figure out how to solve the problem. So he drilled a hole in the floor and stuck a funnel in it. So the water just ran down the funnel. Now, silly story. I would not do that, but it, it kind of reminded me of, of churches that I've talked to that have asked this question. Why can't we do that? Why can't we do that? And begin to say, what are the barriers? Are they, you know, ethical barriers or are they biblical barriers or is it just a cultural barrier? Why can't we do that that way? And so you can be much more creative with your problem solving if you ask that question. Why can't we do it that way? And then figure out if there's really a real barrier or just a perceived barrier. Nice. Ray. Uh, real quick, a pastor down here in South Georgia had two issues that I think most of our churches are dealing with. One was what was he going to do on Sunday nights when um, attendance was continuing to decline? And the other was starting home groups or starting uh, small groups, and he didn't have the leaders. And he said, so here's what we'll do. We'll take Sunday nights. We'll move in the fellowship hall. We'll put everybody around round tables. He kind of led the beginning lesson. He gave out the questions. He put leaders at each of the tables to have discussion around the tables. Uh, Sunday night attendance went through the roof. And out of that, groups started coming together and saying, can we just start can this group stay together? Can we just go ahead and meet? And I've got leaders and he trained his leaders the way to lead a group and they're off and going. Good word, Levi. Yeah, very good. So I, I've got a couple here, right? One is kind of piggybacking off of your staffing concept. You heard about them hiring three part-time guys, I guess. So uh, 
some churches I have seen uh, need kind of help in their small groups, right? So they went out and they hired an expert in small groups for a year and paid mm. them a stipend and said, uh, we need to see these three things happen over the course of this year. So it was like a shot in the arm to that small group ministry just to have that expert for that full year. And uh, I thought that was a phenomenal idea, phenomenal way to go. Another is uh, asynchronistic training, uh, which is creating online training for uh, church members. So it could be teaching them how to, you know, kind of talking about what Ray just said, teaching them how to be a leader of a group. And they go on at their own leisure, their own time, and they go through the training in order to get certified to be that leader. So that was somebody saying, okay, I can't get everybody here at the exact same time to do the training. So I'm just going to create it, provide it online, make sure everybody goes through it. They're trained. They're ready to go. I love it. Gentlemen, thank you for sharing today. Thank you for all you've done this past year, Levi. Thank you for being a great boss and uh, I would just say to all of you, thank you for leading your family in Georgia Baptist well. And uh, my, our prayer is, for those of you who are watching and listening, is that these things that we are talking about twice a month is that they're going to just probe your heart to get you to think beyond borders, to live wildly, to have those big dreams, to go after them. And don't be afraid to risk for the gospel. Uh, we love you. We love doing what we do. Now, let me remind you too, listeners, share the broadcast and get entered into a drawing. And also, uh, if you comment, you'll get entered into a, a different drawing for a giant Pez dispenser. So make sure you do that. As we close out, Lana Melton, John Graham, thanks for producing today. And I'll remind our listeners, we're only able to do this because you give to the cooperative program. So thank you for that. And I pray that today's final discipleship discussion of 2022 will equip you to think deeply invest personally, and dream big as we make world-impacting disciples. Thanks for listening. We want to continue the conversation from today's broadcast in a learning community near you. These learning communities are designed to celebrate your biggest wins, resource your greatest need, and help you finish well. We also want to give you a free gift, the five discipleship shifts most churches need to make to produce world-impacting disciple makers. You can download this resource by going to ministryboom.com. This five-page PDF is a discipleship alignment checklist. The Georgia Baptist Mission Board is able to provide resources like this because of gifts from Georgia Baptists to the cooperative program. For more information on this broadcast and a customized discipleship plan for your church, visit gabaptist.org slash discipleship. Engage with us on your time through Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and all podcast platforms. Lastly, if you've benefited from this conversation today, please share this with a friend as we seek to help churches make world-impacting disciple makers.